Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FloatCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC in Vegas 8, Smith versus Raychich is coming up this weekend. We'll be talking about that fun light heavyweight clash, as well as two other of our favorite fights on that card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think could make you some money this upcoming weekend. Plus, we'll be talking to two of the fighters on that show. First, I'm going to be talking to Emily Whitmire, who tells this amazing story about how she got her start in MMA and involves a fake ID and a CD bar, so I highly suggest listening to that interview. Plus, we'll be talking once again to Impa Kasangane, who joins us to talk about getting the contract on Dana White's Contender Series and all the nerves that tech sitting backstage waiting to hear his name. So... We'll get to all that great content in just a moment, but first, I gotta remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, sambo, or any martial art, they've got the best way to track your progress by giving you a place to leave notes, tag different techniques that you're working on, tag your training partners, plus they've got a log for your competitions and your weigh-ins, all kinds of great features, Make sure to check them out. That's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. guys and I am now being joined by Emily Whitmire who fights Pollyanna Viana at UFC Vegas 8 Smith versus Rachich. Uh, Emily before we get talking about your fight that's coming up this weekend I did want to talk about your last fight because this fight is obviously a rescheduled fight from all the way back on March 7th where you had a tough weight cut you actually had to be pulled from the fight the day of do, do you mind giving us a little quick recap of what happened and where you're at now with your health yeah of course so um a lot of people, they don't know what happens, like, leading up to that point. So, actually, two weeks before the fight, I wasn't even approved for the fight because my uh, blood work came back. Uh, my white blood cells were super high. My mono something and my neuro something, I don't know how to pronounce it, but they were all super elevated. And so, they actually had me go in and do a bunch of other tests. I spent over $1,000 on blood work that camp you know so I was dealing with stuff before they almost wanted to give me a leukemia test my white blood cell count was so elevated so you know after that week of rest and doing all that blood work I started to feel better and their my blood work started to level out and so then they were like go for it if you want to try and fight my weight was low and so the weight cut didn't even cross my mind and I think going into fight week and then depleting my calories while my body was still healing I think I just shut down during the weight cut. I mean, I wasn't even losing a half a pound an hour. And I, I was starting at 23, which is super doable. Like, I've cut from there before. I know girls that show up fight week at 1.30, and I showed up fight week at 1.25 and then cut from was trying to cut from 23, you know. So um, I, I my only regret in that situation was not pulling out when my blood work came back that bad because I felt horrible. Like, it was just like a – a battle even getting into practice, let alone like finishing all the rounds, you know? So, but fighter mentality, you know, if, 
eventually if you're in the sport long enough, you're going to take a fight or you're going to, you know, try and do something when your body isn't ready to do it. And you're going to have a bump in the road. That was the first time that's ever happened to me. So, I mean, I've been sitting at 22, 23 for the last three weeks. So I'm not a big straw weight. I, you know, I walk around at 130. It's not like I, you know, cut from 140 or something crazy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm curious too, cause you said it was really hard to, to get, you know, into practice and, and have all of that weight come off. Now I'm curious, is everything back to normal now? Do you feel back to your old self leading into this fight? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I feel, you know, I don't want to say the best I've ever felt, but like, I feel great. I feel like I should feel going into a fight. I feel healthy. I feel ready. I'm excited. Like my body's ready to go. Like I, this is how you should feel going into a fight. Like I would never want to fight somebody who felt like I did going into that, you know? So I, I'm just so happy that Pollyanna wanted to run it and do it again, try again, or, you know, and so I'm, I'm excited to, for us to finally fight. You know, this has been a fight on my mind since December. So basically the whole year. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that too. You know, you, you prep for Pollyanna Viana. Luckily you get to fight her again. However, it, you know, we're talking about five months later, almost six months later. What is it like preparing for the same person for like eight months of your life? Uh, I mean, it's not like I'm just preparing for her. Like, I'm just cleaning up my own skills and getting better myself. So, if anything, I mean, it's just going to make the fight better. Like, I am I can definitely say I'm better than I was six months ago. Um, so, if anything, it's just going to make the fight more exciting. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, you know, if you look at Viana's record, she's obviously got lots of submissions on her record. As a matter of fact, her last three wins were first-round submissions. She is coming off the submission loss, but I was wondering what you think of her submission game and, and how yours plays against it. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of those, too, I mean, if you look at, like, her earlier fights and look at the, like, girls that she's fighting, they don't necessarily have, like, the best records themselves. So it's kind of hard to say, like, I got into the UFC when I was 2-1, and one, so I've only been fighting top-level girls. I've only been fighting top-level girls, you know, for the last, three years and I mean her as well so I, I think it plays up well I know she has more of a gi jiu-jitsu style where I have a more submission grappling wrestling style so I think it's uh I think it's a good matchup I think she likes to play on bottom I like to play on top I mean it makes for an exciting matchup if you're if you like watching grappling I know she likes to strike too I think it's going to be like boxing and wrestling versus jiu-jitsu and kickboxing it's going to be it's going to be a fun fight for sure. Now, you mentioned in there that you did get to the UFC at 2-1, and one, you know, through the Ultimate Fighter, where you fought, I mean, you fought Roxanne Matafari, who has like 35 fights at that time. What has it been like for you to kind of come up in the sport at such a young, at such an early time in your professional career? Well, I mean, it looks early, but if you, a lot of the girls that you see, they didn't have any amateur fights. So I had 10 amateur fights. So technically, I was going into the UFC with uh, counting the ultimate fighter with 15 fights under my belt. So it's a little bit tricky when you look at just someone's pro record. Um, so this is going to be my 20th fight. So, yeah, I've been coming up in professional in the UFC, but I've been going with top-level girls. Like, I, you know, Misha Tate was one of my main training partners finishing out my last few amateur fights and my early pro fights. So I've been training with high-level girls for a really long time. Roxanne's actually one of my teammates now. So, like, every day I go in and I spar with 
Joanne Calderwood, Nico Montano, Roxanne Monteferry. Like I'm going against high level girls every single day. And that's just like adds a little bit of confidence in your back. You know, you're the, the girl that I'm going to fight. She's not going to be any scarier than Joanne. She's not going to be any scarier than Roxanne or Nico. So it, it, it's so beneficial training with high level women. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I was actually going to talk about your amateur career too, because looking back at it, I see that you made your your amateur debut. You're only 18 years old. Uh, what got you into the sport at such a young age? Um, so I was just kind of like a troubled kid. I was waiting tables, uh, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, had like no real direction or like anything going for myself. And I actually went to a a bar that was having an MMA show. I didn't even know what MMA was. And it was on a Wednesday night. And they had a cage out on the dance floor. And that night, uh, the announcer asked if any girls wanted to grapple. I didn't know what grappling was. But I raised my hand, just kind of always being scrappy. And the moment I got in the cage, I was like, this is something I wanted to do. Like, I just was looking for an avenue, like something to pour myself into. Like, I had all this energy and all this motivation to become something, but I didn't know what to become. I, I didn't want to be a waitress forever. And, like, that, it just clicked. I, I was always a little bit athletic. I rode horses, so I knew how to work hard, and I was tough. And it just, it made a lot of sense. So so when you show up to this bar, just out of curiosity, you showed up to this bar, there's <laughs> yeah. a cage on the dance floor. H- how old are you at this point? I'm 18. I used a fake ID to get in. So I almost didn't even go because I was nervous that my fake ID wouldn't work. And uh, sure enough, they looked at it hardly. And then I just got right in. And uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm like, what a wild way to get into the sport. That is is the wildest way I've heard to get into the sport. Now, Now, that was just a grappling match. How much quickly from there, you said you were 18. How quickly did you transition to MMA? So uh, the grappling match was actually against Lisa Ward, uh, now Lisa Ellis. She was on the Ultimate Fighter. She had a couple fights in the UFC, but she was like a big pioneer in the sport back then. So, I mean, my first taste of, you know, the sport was against somebody that had already accomplished a lot. And then actually it was like three months later, I took my first fight and it was against a girl named Patricia Vadonic. Uh, she had a 145 title, a 135 title, and then my first amateur fight was for a 125-pound title. And uh, she TKO'd me in the first round, and I still knew that that was something I wanted to do. Um, she actually went pro, like, a fight later, and then went, like, 6-0 and and fought in Bellator. So, I mean, from the beginning, like, I have always been going against really tough girls. So it's it's nothing new for me, but, I mean, it was just uh, – a wild, wild story. That, that is really wild. Now, I got one more question for you, too. How, how long did you train in between the grappling match with Lisa Ellis and the, the, you know, your amateur debut? Were you training for just like a couple weeks, a couple months? Dude, I, I think it's on YouTube. It's so bad. So I was waiting tables then, and I worked five days a week. So I had two days off. So after that grappling match, somebody came up to me and they're like, hey, where do you train at? His name's Nick Cunning. Nick Cunning came up to me. He's like, hey, where do you train at? I was like, oh, I don't train. And he's like, well, you look really tough. You should come to my gym. His gym was in Longview, Washington. And at the time, I was living in Forest Grove, Oregon. Uh, I mean, it's close to like a two-hour drive. And so I was driving two hours there, two hours back on my two days off. And I was just training for two days a week for like, I think it was like two two months and then I had that fight so it was very short and uh not a good idea <laughs> but I mean where, where do you go from there it can't get any, get any worse than that you know 
Yeah, and, and clearly it's paid off, too, because you rose to the highest level in, I mean, not a short amount of time, but a short professional career. Now, i got to return right back to, to your fight now to, before I let you go here. You're fighting Pollyanna Viana uh, in UFC Vegas 8. i got to get a prediction out of you. How do you see this fight going? How do you see it ending? Uh, I hate I hate I hate this question because <laughs> you don't want to say something and then look stupid, you know. But um, I I keep feeling a finish. I, I don't know if it's on the feet or on the ground, but I feel a finish. All right. Well, I won't push you. I won't push you any more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. And once again, fans, this is Emily Whitmire who fights Pollyanna Viana at UFC Vegas Eight Smith versus Rachich. Emily, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that interview with Emily Whitmire is brought to you by Fight Forecaster. The Fight Forecaster app is absolutely changing the way that you make your picks every single week for a UFC, Bellator, ACA, KSW, or lots of other different events, including 1FC. So make sure to check them out. You can check them out on Twitter at Forecaster Fight. You can download them in the Apple Store or on Google Play. And the cool thing about Fight Forecaster is it's not just clicking and picking your different fighters, but it's also putting statistics into this. You can give a 65% chance that somebody wins, and then you're not penalized as much as if you picked 100%. It's a really cool feature. Make sure to check them out. Once again, that's at Forecaster Fight on Twitter, or you can search in those stores at for Fight Forecaster app. All right, and joining me now is Impa Kasangane, who fights Maki Pitolo at UFC Vegas 8, Smith versus Rachich. So, Impa, I wanted to start by talking about, you know, you just got the, the contract on the Contender Series. You obviously didn't get it the first time, and this time you went to decision again. What, what were you thinking while you were watching the other four fights waiting backstage? Well, we were watching the other four fights. Like, I remember walking back and talking to my coach, but man, do we get it? So we had a solid performance, and I was happy about that. But, you know, you, you want the finish, because, you know, on the Contender Series, you get the finish, you know, you're... you're probability of getting the contract is that much higher, you know, as proof at every time. So I was in the back talking to my coach. And we're watching the fights, you know, all the fighters did well, so it was cool to see. And like, okay, that person got contract. I remember I think it was like, Giannis, he knocked that guy out cold. And we were like, okay, he definitely got a contract. So hopefully there's another one for us. But, you know, I had faith that I was getting a contract that night. I was uh, challenged a little bit just to say, like, okay, man, I hope, I hope we're going to get it because, you know, how went last year, solid performance. Didn't get it last year, and it was it was a it was a mix of it was a mix of uh, thoughts rather than emotions. I wasn't really feeling sad or anything or happy or excited. It was more like, okay, different thoughts would pop in my head. Maybe we should have done this. While I was thinking like I was analyzing the fight, like what could I have done better? Gosh, maybe if I threw that knee higher, maybe I got in the liver. So I got to be more accurate here. We got to move my head back. So man, I should have done better in the first round. So I was going back through it, really analyzing the fight and seeing what I could have done better to, in my mind at that time, solidify the contract. Well, and and then you get the news, too, right? Dana White comes on the screen. He announces that not only are you getting a contract, but you're supposed to fight, you know, like 10 days after that. It winds up getting pushed back a week, so only 17 days afterwards. Well, what has that turnaround been like, and what were your initial thoughts on fighting so soon? Well, I loved it. I was, I was hoping to fight right away. I was hoping to fight the next weekend or the the next day, whatever, whatever that is. I was hoping to fight, you know, the following weekend, this past weekend on the Cormier card, or fight on the, you know, this this weekend coming up with Joe Selecki, my teammate who's fighting on the same card. I 
ready to go. This is what I love to do. I'm here to work. I'm here to fight. I was like hoping. So when he, when he heard what he said, so what happened was kind of funny. The UFC put my number out on action. And my agent, Lou, from first round, was calling me saying, hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the talk because my phone just kept going off. My phone glitched. So I didn't even know about the fight until Dana announced it. But Mr. White announced it. And I remember waiting, waiting, waiting for the contract. And he kind of started off like the same way he did last year. He had some questions. There's some things he wants to see. I was like, oh, man. And then he goes, sir, if we get the opportunity to prove that in 20 seconds, this coming weekend or tomorrow. First time this, this Saturday. And I was like, all right, let's go. So I remember I was really excited, too, at first. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, we got, we got a ring in the UFC. And my brain was like, all right. That's fun, be excited, but we'll celebrate after we take this victory on the 22nd, now the 29th. Of 17 days later, I think it's awesome, it's amazing, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I really am grateful. And he said the name almost immediately, or it came out almost immediately, that that fight would be against Maki Pitolo. He, he's a guy who's known for just not backing down, for coming forward all the time, for loving to throw hands. Uh, are you excited to have that kind of style of fight? What were your thoughts when you heard that name? Oh, man, I loved it. I remember years ago, I seen him fight, and I respected when he fights. He was a solid fighter. He comes to, he comes to fight. You know, a lot of those, Hawaii, he's from Hawaii, and, uh, or he's Hawaiian. I'm going to say if he's from Hawaii, that is Hawaiian. And a lot of those guys, they come to fight. They're great, they're great fighters, great warriors, and that's what you want. That's why, that's why I'm in the UFC. That's why I'm here. I mean, one of my favorite fighters of all time is uh, Max Holloway. Love the way he comes to fight, the vibe that he brings into the octagon, and the way he treats his son, the way he talks about family, the way he... He doesn't make an excuse and he comes forward. You know, Maki was, he fought recently, didn't go his way. So I know he's going to want to come even harder. And that's, that's the kind of fight I want to make my debut playing Patriot moving forward. It's the best stage, the best platform for me. And I respect him for taking the fight. I appreciate it. And I love fighters like that. If you come to fight, and you have know, all my respect. Um, and that's how, from, especially with my coach, too. Like the guys, the way we fight, our kid, the way we train, the way we, our tribe, we, we come to fight. And come from a warrior culture, too. So, this, this is what you look for. This is these are the kind of these are the fights that people pay for. These are the fights for me are the fights that when you look back on your career, you're like, okay, that's the noble challenge. I don't want to fight with somebody who that you know people disregard. Right? Like regardless, Maki Patola is an excellent fighter, and you know we claim victory on the 29th. That's going to show we're about two, and I respect it. I really do. So for me, that's the kind of fight I love. I am grateful and thankful I'm doing the still fight, like you said, for the contender series to fight in the midst of the pandemic, to fight for the time where so many people don't even have jobs. So whoever signs that contract, I'm grateful and ready to get to work. And you mentioned your coach in there, too. I'm actually so glad you did because on last week's episode, I talked to your teammate, Joe Selecki, just before his fight, which which is going to, you know, the fight at the time of this interview is going to happen in a day or two here. I wanted to ask you about Jim O and sort of how much talent's there. You know, you guys got Brian Barberena, you got uh, Scott Holtzman, John Salter, Joe Selecki, and now you all at the highest level. Can Tell us a little bit about what makes Jim O what it is. And so it starts with our head coach, Jeff Jim O. He's, he's a, yes, that's Jeff Jim O. He's a passionate man who's, who's who demands the best from us and, by, by, by the man that does for himself. He's consistent. He's, he's there every single day. He loves what he does, and he loves us. He calls us his son. He's my second dad to me. 
uh, what makes this place so special is that you know he's built built an empire, built an empire that is that is attracting the right kind of people. Where you know private boutique gym, we told just have everybody come in as is walking. We have people come in to interview with him. He wants to meet everybody. He wants to make put a face to the name and say what Jim is about. I think that's what's made this this five Selecki said too about you know the family environment and the respect I, I love hearing that about him because he is such a quiet guy now I, I do want to end this interview too with, with a quick question about a prediction obviously you're stepping in there with Maki Pitola you said you got a lot of respect for him can we get a prediction out of you how do you see this fight going I'm starting to fight off uh, get after from the get-go move my head move my feet setting up shots finishing the fight you know I believe that Play this round one or two, put the put the pressure, red line them, and get after it. Or it's I'm on top dominating or finishing with the submission. And I believe whether you know the, the deeper it goes, you know, have more opportunity to get a knockout, get a nice new knockout, keep moving forward, and fight again September 12th, fight again September 8th, ready to go. Well, I love the mentality that you want to get right back after it, and I love the sounds of this fight. Once again, fans, this is Impa Kasangane, who fights Maki Pitolo at UFC Vegas 8, Smith versus Rajic. Impa, thanks so much for the time, and I really appreciate it. 
Yes, sir. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me today. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Impa Kasangane and Emily Whitmire. I'm now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Trevante. Dave, I'm actually going to start out with a question for you. Who is the best 205-pound fighter in the world right now? Well, Gumby, with John Jones seemingly going to heavyweight, that is just about one of the toughest questions to answer on this planet right now. And we live on a complicated planet. It almost depends on what mood I'm in. What day of the week you asked me? I mean, uh, the day after I saw Bellator, Nemkov, uh, knock out Ryan Bader, it's him. But then I think to myself, wait a minute, Gus is still active. What if he wanted to come down to light heavyweight and had a career resurgence? Maybe it's him. Or I think to myself, maybe it's Dominic Reyes, who I think is on the come up and probably has the age factor on his side. Or then I think to myself, if Tiago Santos's knee is fully healed, it's absolutely him. There are a lot of options here. Yeah, and, and you didn't even mention Yuri Prochaka, who who just knocked Yuri out Volkan. He just knocked out Volkan Ozdemir, and then you got Jan Blankovic, who just knocked out Corey Anderson, and is heading into a title match too. So I mean, like, there are like six or seven decent cases to be made here, and like, who knows? Who knows what happens if Glover Teixeira just absolutely demolishes Tiago <laughs> Santos too, right? Because he's coming off of a dominant victory where he literally punched Anthony Smith's teeth out of his mouth. So, like, we're in a position where there are a lot of guys who are vying for that spot, only one of which is, is outside of the, the UFC, which is, is kind of why this question is so interesting too, right? Like, how do you rate Nemkov after, you know, bludgeoning Ryan Bader when there are all these other great options in the UFC? At least we'll get to see a whole bunch of interesting UFC matchups play out as this sort of shakes out. Well, I'll tell you what I can't wait to see shake out, and that's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 8. I say it every week now. It's like we're getting into Fast and Furious territories with these UFC Vegases. Uh, but that all being said, I'm curious, Gumby, does anyone sponsor Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag for the best mobile gambling experience you can possibly imagine. If you've had trouble gambling on fight nights or, or maybe even on another sport that you like to gamble on using your phone, it's because you're not using MyBookie. Head on over there. It is completely compatible and it could not be easier. And speaking of easy, they also make gambling easy in so many ways because they accept cryptocurrency, give you deposit bonuses, and so much more. Visit MyBookie.ag. Boy, oh boy, do I love my bookie. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. I was actually using them before they ever became a sponsor. And then, Gumby, let's give a little peek behind the curtain. When you came to me and said, hey, I think my bookie is going to sponsor Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, what did I say? I was like, holy shit, are you fucking kidding me? I love them. Yeah, it, it's, it's the perfect combination. All right, speaking of a perfect combination, we have two fighters who are in said lightweight division coming off a loss. Anthony Smith coming off a loss to Glover to share it. Plus 250 dog. Alexander Rachek, a minus 300 favorite. Both coming off losses. Who you got? I'm going to go with Anthony Smith here, even at plus 250. I know that that sounds like an absurd line, and especially an absurd line to take an underdog at. But, but let's face it here. What is Anthony Smith getting seen down as here, right? Like, he's coming off of some absolutely amazing performances, including a really good one against John Jones. You're talking about a guy who knocked out Shogun with absolutely no problem. And, yeah, he had a bad matchup against 
Glover Teixeira, a guy who outgrappled him and showed that jiu-jitsu works pretty well on, on Anthony Smith, he's playing a kickboxer here. And Alexander Rechich, I, I really don't see a great path to victory here for Alexander Rechich. This is not a guy who's got a, a lot of skills that, that play well against Anthony Smith. And you mentioned both are coming off of a loss. Rechich is coming off of a loss where he kind of got outpointed by Vulcan Ozdemir, which... He's not notoriously a great point fighter, right? Like, he's notoriously a guy who throws big, heavy hands and hits the knockout. And really, Rachich's gas tank didn't do him any favors against the guy in Ozdemir who, who also doesn't have a really great gas tank. So you got a guy here in Smith who's extremely durable. He's gone into the championship rounds before. He's got knockout power, and he's got better longevity to me for than Rachich. I'm taking the proven top... 205er in Anthony Smith over the the guy who pretty much doesn't have any real high quality wins in my opinion either. Like Rachel's best win is what Jimmy Manoa. Like I, I'm not sold on a guy who can knock out j- just for the fact that he knocked out Jimmy Manoa. Yeah, it's interesting, and I'm with you on all of that. I mean, I view Smith as probably the better all around fighter. I know he's no uh, jujitsu ace. And uh, certainly, you know, Glover maybe exposed that a little bit. But uh, I do view him as the better all-around fighter, and he certainly is very durable. Why then? Why do you think the odds makers and fans alike, because that obviously drives these lines as well, would he be a three-to-one favorite, though? You know, I think a lot of it has probably got to do with the fact that, first of all, Alexander Rachich has got the look, right? Like, the dude is absolutely ripped, and, you know, he looks like a, a light heavyweight prospect, a mega prospect. In addition to that, I think we got a little bit of the Johnny Walker situation going on, right? Johnny Walker came to the UFC, he beat people up that, A, he was supposed to beat up, and B, did so in flashy fashion, right? Like, Rachich knocked out Jimmy Manoa. Yeah, okay, so Jimmy Manoa was outside the top 15, no big deal. He ground and pounded Justin Ledette for 15 minutes and landed 400 punches or something. It's like the largest strike differential in history. Who's Justin Ledette beat at 205? Nobody. He's he's without a win at 205. So I think it's because Rachich has looked so good against bad competition, whereas Anthony Smith has looked kind of bad lately against really good competition, against the top guys in the division. And I think sometimes we see a gambling disparity there, and I think it's a, a way that you can sort of see value in the lines is when one guy is on the up and up and one guy is on the down. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a huge gap in their abilities. Yeah, okay, that's totally fair. I'll tell you what else is totally fair. This next matchup, because I'm actually intrigued by it, it's Neil Magny, a minus-220 favorite, against Robbie Lawler, the veteran, the future Hall of Famer, uh, the former champion Robbie Lawler. Now, Magny himself, coming off a two-fight win streak, beat Li Jinglang, uh, beat Anthony Rocco Martin, before that lost to Santiago Ponzinibbio, before that beat Craig White, Carlos Condit, and before that lost to Rafael Dos Anjos. I'm peeling the layers back here a, 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 a bit because I think that's kind of the story of Magny's career. It's like he had that seven-fight win streak where he fought seven times in six months against really low-level competition, and then he started facing better competition, and his career started going in that direction of win two, lose one, win one lose two, win one, so on and so on and so on. And here he is now facing the former champion, albeit on the downside of Robbie Lawler's career, and Magny, the minus 220 favorite, 
Lawler, of course, is everyone's favorite fighter at this point. You know, he's kind of like old Uncle Robbie, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but he's on a three-fight losing streak. Very sad. Beat Donald Cerrone back at UC 214 in July of 2017, then lost to RDA, lost to Ben Askren in a fight really he was winning, and who the hell knows what happened with that choke where he went out for about half a second, and then got absolutely murdered by Colby Covington last August. Who are you taking here? I really want to take Robbie Lawler because I think there are a lot of paths to the victory. And if you're thinking about betting him at plus 180, I say go ahead and pull the trigger because I think there's actually a lot of value on Robbie Lawler there because he's a guy who stuffs takedowns really well. I mean, like if you looked at the late parts of that Colby Covington fight, he actually stuffed Colby Covington almost exclusively from the third round on. I think Colby landed one of his like five or six takedowns in that amount of time. So if Neil Magny decides to go to with the wrestle-heavy game here, which he might, he, he's landed six takedowns in his last two fights, I think that that's an easy thing for Robbie to stop. And, like, maybe he has enough success in the feed over a three-round fight to win here. But I will also say this. The only person to beat Neil Magny by decision in the UFC was Seth Bozinski in 2013. Now, sure, that could just be a crazy stat that we, you know, don't know what to do with. But it sort of lets me know that Neil Magny has a style where he scores points, right? Because he does, you know, initiate a lot of the wrestling exchanges. He's successful on a lot of them. He also fights very long, which means a lot of times he lands more volume than his opponents, even if he's not landing more power. It's weird to think about it here, but I think he probably on the feet follows a little bit of the Colby Covington game plan where, like I said, he uses a lot of volume, maybe not a lot of power, stays away from the big power shot of Robbie Lawler. So if I got to pick it straight up, I think I'm going with Neil Magny here is the is the favorite. But, you know, like, like I said, there's definitely some value in Robbie Lawler. I just have a hard time envisioning him finishing Neil Magny, and I think he's going to have to do that. Yeah, that's kind of where I land. Three-round fight. I, I don't even think Magny's going to be uh, press the wrestling and the takedown action that much. This is going to be a point fight. I don't think at this juncture in his career that Lawler is knocking out Magny. I think speed is obviously, especially in these lighter weights, it becomes a huge factor on the backside of your career as you get into your mid to late upper 30s. And that's not saying Magny's a spring chicken. He's not 22 years old but he certainly has the speed advantage against Lawler. And I think he will outland and outpoint Lawler and take two out of three rounds. Uh, I'm pretty confident in picking Magny. I'm curious, how confident are you? Alexa Grasso is a minus 320 favorite. She's coming off a loss herself to Carla Esparza last September. So we have not seen her in this crazy year they call 2020. And she'll be facing a dog in Ji Yun Kim at plus 260. Is this Alex Grasso all day at minus 320 or give us Kim's path to victory if possible? So I think Kim's path to victory is she's got to pick her apart from the outside. And that's kind of hard with Alexa Grasso because as we've seen with Alexa Grasso, the easiest way to beat her is by wrestling her up a little bit, right? Her two of her last three losses. And actually, if you go back to the loss to Felice Herrick, all three of her losses in the UFC are to people who are taking her down, right? Like Tatiana Suarez got her down twice sunk in the rear naked choke Esparza four times Felice Herrig twice even Randa Marcos who she technically beat by a split decision that I'm not sure I agree with took her down four times she's here fighting Yijian Kim who has never succeeded in taking somebody down in the UFC and granted she hasn't tried very much either 
I see this as a boxing match, which is not good for Yi Jian Kim. It is worth noting that Yi Jian Kim is going to be fighting in her natural weight class, 125 pounds here, with Grasso coming up a weight class, uh, which is certainly an interesting thing. They're both ranked 14, one at straw weight and one at flyweight. I definitely like Grasso style-wise, but I'm interested to see how that weight plays as well. Um, but straight up, yeah, I'm definitely taking the favorite here. Uh, well, that's the favorite that you are taking, but let's talk about our dog of the week. I think we already hinted at it. It's Anthony Smith at, uh, Anthony Smith at plus 250. Yeah, and as you guys know, I don't like talking about my, my dog of the week being somebody in those first three matchups that we break down, but it's almost... Uh, impossible not to pick him especially when you see him at plus 250 which I think is an incredible bargain here because like I said I think he has all of the skills to beat Rajic I think he's more savvy in the cage I think he's smarter in the cage and coming off of a bad loss is no reason to write somebody off and I really think here Anthony Smith at plus 250 is somebody that a lot of people should be hitting that line on not before we get in on it but before everybody else gets in on it our parlay to play is Impa Kasangane, a minus 150 favorite, and Magomed Ankyalev, a minus 360 favorite. Put those two favorites together. It will get you plus 110 odds, which isn't bad. I have no idea if I even pronounced those names correctly, but let's break down the parlay. You you nailed it, actually. Your pronunciation was perfect. So I, I love Impa Kasangane uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's coming off of an only 18-day layoff where he got his contract on the Contender Series. And Maki Pitolo is coming off of a 21-day layoff, but in a fight he lost. You know, we don't really see a three-week turnaround for fighters coming off of a loss. And he did so losing a, a grappling, you know, he got submitted by Darren Stewart, who I'm not sure has ever submitted somebody in his life. So we got a guy here who's a big puncher, loves to throw haymakers, gets tired really fast, against a very well-rounded new prospect who's a cardio machine and I think he can mix up his wrestling, and I also think he could get it done on the feet. So I think Impa Kasangane at 150 is somebody you could boost a lot of parlays with. And I'm pairing him with, with Magomed Ankyalev in this rematch against Ian Kudalaba where they stopped the fight early. Of course, they stopped that fight early with Ian Kudalaba last time. But let's be let's face it, Ankyalev was on his way to victory. He was absolutely steamrolling Kudalaba. I think Ankyalev is going to roll again. Remember, Ankyalev would be undefeated in the UFC if he didn't tap out to Paul Craig with one second to go in their fight. Literally one second away from being undefeated in the UFC. So again, I like him at negative 360 here. And the fact that you can get plus odds on the return, I just think it's a steal. I think we're a steal. And I hope you enjoyed the show. That does it for Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Gumby, why don't you wrap up the show as a whole, and we'll catch our fans down the road. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on, and our sponsors, Maroon Social, the Fight Forecaster app, and MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag. We also want to remind you guys, check us out on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Top Turtle MMA on both of those platforms. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll be back then.